for you right there. Amen. We don't need this, uh, you know, worldly stuff going on. This what I call seven eleven seven phrases repeated eleven times. Listen, if you're if you're looking for the new CCM stuff, you're in the wrong church. Amen. That's the type of music we like. Amen. Because let me tell you what that music does. It prepares our heart for about what's to happen. That's the preaching of the Word of God. And so I appreciate that. Amen. Blessing there. Listen, folks. I heard so much good preaching this week. We're in for it today. Amen. All right. Revelation. I'm sorry. Before we go to Revelation, let's go to First John chapter five. First John chapter five. We are going to do as we did last week and uh, begin with our our theme behind me there on the wall, read those verses, and then we'll lead into the message this morning. So if you find your place, stand with me, 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 4, we'll read verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that he, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray, Lord. We once again come to you this morning, Lord. Uh, we're so thankful for you, God. Thank you for your love for us, and and God, as we just heard, God, the, what that love has done and will do and can do, Lord, and just what a powerful thing it is. And Lord, we need you here this morning, Holy Spirit of God. We want to just uh, publicly say we want you in this service. And I ask God that you'd be here. I ask that you'd move amongst us, and ask that you'd convict and work and allow the word. God to change us and help us and Lord be what we ought to be for you. We love you and we thank you now in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Once again our text, uh, our theme for the year. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We've been talking about those things this this uh, year. Faith, victory, and overcoming. And again, the Bible declares, who is someone that overcomes? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And I'll just tell you this, as a Christian, when you get saved, when you get your sins washed under the blood of Jesus Christ, you're overcoming. Amen? And you're overcoming. So because of our, our ability as Christians to overcome, God gives some promises to those that do overcome. All right? And that's where uh, we've been uh, last week. We started this in the book of Revelation. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn over there, Revelation chapter 2. And uh, what we see here as we go through Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus wrote some letters to some local churches. And these were the seven churches of Asia Minor. And these were literal churches that existed when the Apostle John, uh, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the, the book of Revelation. And uh, Jesus dictated these letters to His churches. By the way, I've often wondered, if Jesus Christ wrote a letter to White River Baptist Church, what it would say? That's a telling thought, is it not? And I wonder if, uh, I, I hope he would have some, a lot of positive things to say. I wonder if he'd have some negative things to say. And, uh, you know, most of the, there, there were a couple of the churches where there weren't any negative things said to those churches. And so it just it helps me as a pastor and uh, as, a, as a member of this congregation to, hey, let's keep this thing in a, such a way that would please the Lord. Amen? Because remember something, folks. This isn't my church. This isn't your church. This is Jesus' church. Amen? And we're just, we need to be good stewards of His church. And so, but Jesus here, as He dictated these letters to the churches, He ended every letter with a promise to an overcomer. And last week, 
week, we looked at the first promise there in verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And we talked about that tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden and that will one day be in heaven. And God will allow us to partake of that wonderful tree of life. Man, what an amazing thing that's going to be. We looked at verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh should not be hurt of the second death. And we talked about the fact that once we're saved, once we've been born of God, listen folks, you can't be hurt of the second death if you've been born again. The old saying you may be heard, uh, in order to, uh, if you're born twice, you only die once. Right? But if uh, uh, you, uh, I forget the opposite of saying of it now, uh, but uh, there's an opposite there, but it's talking about the fact of being born again. Amen? And when you're born again, guess what? You're not going to be hurt of the second death. Right? And we are, we're secured in our salvation. And then we begin looking here at verse 17. Let's look at that. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And we talked about the first part of that, but we ran out of time last week. And so we talked about the first part, which is the promise of the hidden manna. And we talked about how that manna first appeared in the Old Testament, and manna literally was angel's food that God sent down from heaven to feed His people in the wilderness. And we also learned that in the Ark of the Covenant, was a pot of that manna. And for all those years, it was hidden from uh, hidden from man. It was hidden manna because once the children of Israel entered the promised land, they no longer needed that manna. And for those thousands of years, it was hidden. You know why? Because the blood hadn't been applied to the mercy seat of heaven. And mankind couldn't be into the holiness of God because of sin, because the permanent blood of the Lamb of God hadn't been sprinkled up in heaven yet. But praise God, we're living in a day where, you know what? Jesus, when He died, and he shed his blood. One of the things he did after his resurrection is he went to heaven and he put his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. Amen? And because of that, we now, as Christians, have direct access to the throne of God. Man, what a powerful thing. Here's a telling question. Did you spend time in that presence this morning? Did you go before that throne this morning? Have you been before that throne this week? Amen? And that hidden manna he's talking about, I believe, is a picture of that special relationship that we're going to be allowed to have with Christ throughout all eternity. Amen? And you know what? Here's what I said last week, and here's what I'm going to uh, uh, say one more time before we move on. You don't have to wait to heaven to have that relationship. You can have it now. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ as you're alive on this earth. Now, you got to do it through His Word. Amen? You, he speaks to you through His Word. You speak to Him through prayer. And listen, you can walk with God, yes, even on this earth. Man, what a, what a challenging thing. Amen? Now, let's look at the second part of verse uh, 17 here. And we'll pick it up here this morning. And notice what it says. Not just the hidden manna, but He says this, And I will give Him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now, that, that's uh, kind of an interesting verse. And until you begin to kind of study that a little bit, and study the, uh, the, the culture, if you will, the customs of the day, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But during the time in which John wrote that, a white stone was used in social life and judicial customs. Days of great festivals were noted by a white stone. Days of calamity were noted by a black stone. If a host had special guest whom he greatly appreciated, the guest was given a white stone with a name or a message written on it directed only to the guest, not to be shared with anybody else. 
It was kind of like a personal message to somebody who was a guest. In the courts, a white stone meant acquittal. If the prisoner was given a black stone, you know what that meant? Condemnation. In the Scripture, Jesus promises to the overcomer a white stone. By the way, you know what that means? Victory and final acquittal. Amen? Listen, folks, right now, we're fighting a battle. Amen? Right now, we're in the midst of, of, of a spiritual war zone. By the way, that's what we as Christians have been called to while we're living life on this earth. Hey, listen, folks, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight, not a game. Listen, as Christians, we're fighting, amen? We're fighting the devil. We're, smi- we're fighting old smutty face. We're out there in the battle for the souls of mankind. We, and by the way, we ought to be engaged in that battle, amen? Not only are we fighting the, uh, fighting the, uh, the old devil, we're fl- fighting the, the, the philosophy of the world, the, the system of the world, and we're fighting this old flesh. I'm going to tell you, folks, it is a battle, amen? Hey, aren't you glad one of these days where you can lay the armor down and finally have final victory forever? Well, that white stone is going to signify that victory. But it won't just be that of a signal of victory. It's going to be written on that stone something which a new name, the Bible says, which no one will know except the recipient. Once again, I believe this speaks of Jesus' interest in each and every individual believer. By the way, folks, listen to me. I want you, I want you, I want you to get a truth here that'll help you. Okay? When Jesus died, did he die for the whole world? Yes. Let me say this, He also died for you individually. Okay? I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that if you were the only person on earth, Jesus Christ still would have came and died on the cross for your soul. I believe that, amen? Because the Bible teaches that. It's not just a collective love, it's an individual love. You say, well, how can God love so many people? Listen, that's why He's God. That's why His love is so great and vast and, and more than we can even think or comprehend, Amen? And He loves you and knows you on a personal level. I mean, He knows you so well, the Bible says that He doesn't just know the thoughts of your heart, He knows the intents of your heart. He knows what you intend before you even think it in your heart. That's how much He knows you. Amen? He knows how many hairs are on your head, or in my case, my face. Amen? And He knows all that. He knows everything about us. And let me tell you something, folks. That relationship... It's not just going to uh, dissipate when we get to heaven. No, that's going to be even enhanced more once we get there. Let me tell you, He's going to give you this special white stone. And I believe it's going to be a special message that He has directly for us personally. And the Bible says it's going to be a name that nobody knows except written on the stone. Amen? And uh, you say, what exactly is the stone going to say? I don't know. I won't know till I get there. Right? Now, I will say this. Here's a thought, okay? It doesn't necessarily say that it's going to be a positive thing. It doesn't say that. You know what? Maybe if you weren't faithful on earth, I wonder maybe if that stone will say for some Christians, selfish. I don't know. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that. The Bible doesn't necessarily say. It doesn't say we don't know what's going to be on it. But it's a something special He's going to give to the overcomer. Amen? Man, what, what a wonderful thing there. Again, speaks of the love and the interest He has, has in us as Christians. So we see that there in chapter, in, in chapter 2, verse 17. To he that overcometh, be able to eat of the hidden manna and, and receive that white stone with a new name written on it, which no one will know except yourself. All right, let's look at the next thing here. Let's go down to verse 26. And of course, this was, this letter was written to the church of Thyatira. And uh, here's what Jesus said at the end of that letter to that church, beginning in verse 26 of Revelation chapter 2. And he that overcometh, 
and keepeth my works unto the end. To him will I give him power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now it's very interesting because this promise to the overcomer is not like the other six. All right. Now remember something. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every word is there for a reason. Every phrase is there for a purpose. All right. And if you notice here, this promise is not just for an overcomer, but it's also for those, notice what it says, that keepeth my works unto the end. I'll say this, all Christians may be overcomers, but not all Christians are faithful at keeping the works of Christ until the end. Right? I mean, come on, folks. Sad to say, how many people do we know that claim to know Christ, yet at some point in their journey, they got discouraged? Maybe they got overcome by sin? Hey, you know what I've heard people say? They've lost their faith. And listen, there's Christians like that all over. By the way, it doesn't mean they're still not saved. It just means, you know what? They no longer are keeping the works of the Lord. I'm talking about, uh, how about this term? Backsliding. How come we're not hearing more preaching about backsliding as a whole in Christianity today? We're going to hear about it here, that's for sure. Because I don't know about y'all, but I know my rascal self. Man, as that old hymn goes, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. Let me tell you, there's going to be times in our lives where we all backslide. But let me say this, the answer to backsliding is not to turn your back on God. You know what it is? If you backslide, get right, amen? Hey, He makes provision for that. Alright, God, he, loves, he wants you back. He wants to pull you back. Listen to me. The devil wants to tell you there's no hope. The devil wants to tell you all, all those bunch of Christians there, they're just going to think you're a hypocrite. They're going to, they're going to snub your nose at you. I can't speak for other churches, but that's not what would happen in this church. Amen? If a backsliding Christian gets right with God, let me tell you, the church is going to love and rejoice and be thankful for that. Amen? And by the way, that's the way it ought to be. The fact that we ought to receive people who are, who are trying to uh, get back where they need to be with the Lord. Listen, folks, there's been times in my life where I've been away from God. There's times in my life where I've experienced periods of backsliding. I'm so thankful that when I got right, you know what? The people of the church were thankful for me. They encouraged the fact they were, they, they helped me get back where I needed to be. Amen? And I can't speak for other churches, but I'm going to tell you right now, you know what this church is? This is a church that welcomes and, and, and will encourage and help any backslider trying to get right with God. So folks, listen to me, all right? What are we talking about here? We're talking about keeping His works unto the end. I'm talking about Christians, you know what, who are faithful to Christ. And let me just say to you, church, it does matter, amen? It does matter that you get back up when you fall. It does matter that you don't let the devil sidetrack you in your Christian life and keep you from doing the will of God. Listen, it's going to matter on that day because faithfulness is ending well. And let me say this, you know what, everybody starts at different points. Let me tell you what God's interested in. He's not so much interested in how you start, but He's interested in how you finish. I think about that parable, what I call of the uh, the eleventh hour, the eleventh hour parable, where the where the uh, Jesus told the story of a of a of a uh, owner uh, of a uh, of a vineyard went out and hired laborers for the vineyard, and he went out the first hour of the day, which in, in the biblical times would have been six a.m. hired a labor and said, "Okay, come and hire. I'll uh, I'll give you a wage for working all day." And all throughout different hours of the day, every hour of the day, he hired more laborers. By the way, that 11th hour, he went out and hired a laborer. So at 5 p.m., he hired a laborer. And you know what? That laborer came work for one hour. And at the end of the day, he paid that laborer the same amount of money he paid the guy that started at 6 a.m. 
And those that started early started copping attitude. And the master said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Did you not agree to work for this wage? By the way, it's in the power of my hand to give it to whomever I will. And so you know what that parable teaches us, folks? It's about finishing well. Amen? It's about finishing well. Forget the past. You can't change it. Listen, you can't change one minute of the past. Let me tell you what the devil wants. He wants you to live in the past. He wants you to get hung up on the past. He wants you to allow the past to hinder you from finishing well. Listen, wherever you're at, if you need to get right some things, get right, then get back up and head to the finish line. Because I'm going to tell you, there's some amazing promises to those that finish well. Those that keep His works until the end. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'm not a prophet. All I know is what the Bible says, but we're almost to the end. I can tell you that. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a a deep student of eschatology to know that, you know what, this thing's just about over. Amen? Look at what the Bible has to say. Look at what's going on around us. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe, I believe from the bottom of my heart, we're the rapture generation. I believe we're going to be the generation that hears that trumpet. I don't know about you, folks. Now ain't the time to stop. Now's not the time to slow down. Let's hit it and get it to the finish line. Keep His works until the end. Look what happens to those that do. Again, what's He say? Verse 26. To Him will I give power over the nations. I'm going to tell you something, folks. What a tremendous promise. You see, something's going to happen after the rapture. As Christians, we're going to go to heaven for seven years. While the tribulation is going on on earth, the Christians will, as Christians, will be in heaven. And during that seven year period, now, as we're in heaven, I don't know if it's going to seem like seven years. I have no idea because things are different up there than they are down here. But at least on earth, it's going to be a seven year period. And why literally all hell is breaking loose on this earth, literally, that's what's going to happen. And those that aren't saved go through the tribulation. As a Christian, you know what? You're going to be in heaven. And while we're in heaven, a couple of things are going to happen. First of all, we're going to all partake in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yeah, there's going to be eating in heaven. Amen? And by the way, whatever you eat up there ain't going to give you gout in your foot. I can tell you that. Right? Oh no, marriage supper of the Lamb. And whatever, I'm going to tell you, I'm looking forward to that day. By the way, let me tell you something awesome, something interesting that Jesus promised. Man, this is, this is awesome. I think about this every time we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus, when He ate with His disciples in the upper room some 2,000 years ago and took the Last Supper, that's what it's called, the Last Supper, which is our, the basis for our communion service, He told His disciples, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. We're going to be able to sit and have a great feast with Jesus Christ. Could you imagine what that's going to be like? So the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then the judgment seat of Christ. And at that judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says that we will receive the things done according to our works. Amen? According to our works. And based upon our faithfulness, we'll determine, according to this verse, our ruling position in the millennial kingdom. Because after that seven years in heaven, when Jesus Christ comes back, and we come back with Him, Revelation chapter uh, 19 tells us that, then Jesus Christ is going to set up for 1,000 years a period uh, known as the millennial reign. He will reign on this earth for a 1,000 years as the King from Jerusalem. And by the way, you know what? Those that are faithful will rule and reign with Him. And that's what He promises there. If you keep your works unto the end, I will give you power over the nations. So let me say this. When you're doing right right now and living in the will of God right now and fighting a good fight right now and staying right with God right now, you know what in essence you're doing according to this verse? Securing your place of authority in the millennium. I didn't say it. God said it. And I ain't the only place He said it. By the way, there's a lot of motivation for being faithful. A lot of motivation. But for me, this is up there pretty high. Okay? Think about this for a minute, all right? 
Now, again, I don't know how it's all going to work, but we know what the Bible says for a thousand years. What year into the millennium do you think you're going to be thankful that you were faithful to God? What year? Is it going to be the fifth year? The tenth year? The fiftieth year? The two hundredth year? The five hundredth year? I mean, what year are you going to say to yourself, man, I'm glad I took my vapor of a life on earth and was faithful. Look what He gave me in return. Think about it, folks. You take your vapor, all right? Your vapor of a life. The Bible says uh, three score and ten by measure of strength, four score. They tell us the average age of a person in our day and age is about 84 years old. All right, if you get that long. Some get more, some get less. Average of 80-some. You give your measly little 80 to God, and you live for Him. And by the way, the first part of those years, you're a kid. You don't know a whole lot. You're learning. You're growing. But let's just say you started that at you know as a teenager. So maybe you could knock off 10 or 15 off that. You give God your measly 65, 70 years of life on earth, faithful service to Him, and you're going to be able to have a ruling position of authority for a thousand I mean, come on, which person wouldn't, wouldn't invest in that? I mean, if I said to you, I'll tell you what, you give me $70, I'll give you 1000 Who wouldn't do that? You know, everybody talking about the, you know, the cryptocurrency boom. How about that investment? And you know what, folks, listen, when you really start reading the Bible and believing the Bible, it starts making sense, amen? And truth be told, it's a no-brainer as a Christian to do what the Bible says and live for God. It's a no-brainer. And that's not even all the motivation. That's just part of it. Listen, God is so good to us as Christians. You know why? Not because we deserve it, because He's gracious and merciful. I don't know about y'all, I want to overcome. Right? I want to overcome my flesh. I want to overcome the world. I want to overcome sin. I want to overcome the devil as we're fighting and battling with him. Man, don't you want to? Man, and there's so many more verses. But for sake of time, we're going to keep moving. Not only does he say that He'll give him power over the nations. But look at the next thing He says, verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. Now that is very interesting when you begin to study that. That word uh, is interesting because there's two times in the Bible that the morning star is used. It's used right here, and it's also used in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Let me read the verse to you. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, and the bride and morning star. So twice it's used in the Scripture. One is referring to a title of Christ Himself. And the other then is referring to a reward that He gives to the overcomer. Now what's interesting is when you look at the word in Revelation chapter 2, verse 28, where our text is this morning, that word means this, pertaining to the dawn. Okay, the maturing of morning is kind of what it means, all right? It's kind of like the what we would call uh, before the sun comes up, right? Dawn before the sun peaks over the horizon. But the when it's referring to Jesus as the morning star, it doesn't just mean as in pertaining to the dawn. It means brilliant in the early day. And so just as the sky grows in brightness and intensity from the morning to as the sun comes up and begins to crest over the horizon at noon, it's the brightest. Let me tell you what I believe this means. I believe from the study of those two phrases that this reward is a special brilliance directly from the person of Christ who is the morning star bestowed upon those that overcame and kept His works until the end. Let me tell you what this means. Your glorified body is going to shine as bright as you were faithful to Christ. You say, Scripture, preacher, you got Scripture on that? Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, listen to what it says. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, 
And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You ain't going to have to tell anybody in heaven whether you are a good or bad Christian on earth. They'll be able to look at you and tell. I'm going to tell you something, folks. This, this idea, well, as long as I got my fire insurance, that's all that matters. No, it's not. And I'll say this. The worst day for a person in heaven is still going to be better than the best day a person has in hell. Yeah, praise God you get there. Let me tell you something. It ain't just going to be this, oh, you know, hunky-dory, pat on the back, glad you made it type stuff when you get to heaven. Listen, folks, read the Bible. What's the Bible say? Forget what, you know, contemporary Christianity says. Forget what the stupid, cute memes on Facebook say. What's God say? What's His book say? Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Just as our faithfulness will determine our position of authority over the nations, I believe our faithfulness will determine the degree of how bright we shine in our glorified bodies. Amen? And you know what? Sad to say, some Christians are going to be a pretty dim microwave light in heaven. You know why? Because they wasted their time on earth. That's why the Bible says in other places that some people will be saved, yet as by fire. And that fire is referring to when Jesus Christ judges our works. And if those works don't survive His finding fire, there'll be nothing left except their salvation. And that's it. And I don't know about you folks, listen to me. All He's done for me, really, I want to show up empty-handed when I face Him. I want Him to have to not be thankful that I'm there, but honestly, yeah, He's going to love me. Yeah, He's going to be glad I'm there, but a little shameful because I didn't live for Him on earth. Hey, by the way, you know what the Bible says? That Jesus, if we deny Him before men, He'll deny us before the Father. Hey, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Okay, come on, get in your Bible, amen. What's the Bible have to say? That's why Jesus said this in John chapter 9, verse 4, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh, but no man can work. And by the way, the night that's coming, He ain't just talking about 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m., whatever time it is of the year. No, He's talking about the night as in spiritual night. After that trumpet sounds, when it's all over, amen, or you close your eyes in death and no more opportunity to work. Listen, that's why we need to get busy now for the Lord. Because I'm going to tell you, folks, there's rewards for those that overcome. So we've seen this, the ruling position in the morning star. Let's go to chapter 3 now, chapter 3. Let's look at verse 5. This is, of course, the message to the church of Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now wearing white raiment here is a picture of redemption. It's a picture of Christ-likeness. It's a symbol of identifying with Christ and his righteousness. In fact, any time in the Scripture where you see Jesus being glorified, he was always described as wearing white garments. Mark chapter 9, verse 3, this was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Revelation chapter 7, and after this, behold, a great multitude which no man could number, and all nations and kindreds of people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white 
robes and palms in their hands. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And which came they? And he said, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then Revelation chapter 9, verse 8, talking about the church. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And so part of overcoming is the fact that, yes, when we get to heaven, we're going to be clothed in white robes. These robes speak of our identity with Christ, specifically His righteousness. And by the way, folks, let me just remind you, you know what's going to be in heaven? Righteousness. You know what there's not going to be in heaven? The Bible tells us what's not going to be there. Anything that's wicked, anything that's evil, anything that maketh a lie. Listen, you thank God we don't have to worry about sin then. Amen? Heaven's going to be filled with righteousness. That's why Jesus told us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think about it for a minute. How in the world could the will of the Father be done as it is on earth as it is in heaven until Jesus Christ comes and sets up His kingdom? And that's why we're to pray for that. And part of that overcoming is going to be clothed in this white robe, which is the righteousness of saints. All right, now, let's talk about this for a minute, okay? Righteousness for saints isn't just for when we get to heaven. Now, getting quiet in here, isn't it? You know why? Because it's convicting, that's why. Because let me tell you something, folks. We're to not just be righteous when we get to heaven. We're to be righteous now. Amen? This idea that, yeah, I got saved and I can just do what I want, live how I want, that is a lie from the pits of hell. Amen. Amen. Listen, when you're saved, you don't belong to you anymore. You belong to Him. And we as Christians have an obligation to live for Him. And as the Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. By the way, that commands for us while we're living on earth. You say, yeah, but doesn't God know that we're living in uh, 2022 and how dark and evil everything is? Listen, folks, nothing takes God by surprise. And the command was just as good now as it was then when it was given. Amen? Don't wait till you get to heaven to live a righteous life. Live now. Listen, I don't believe you have to live a certain way to keep your salvation. We already covered that. Amen? But I believe this. If you are saved, you ought to have that desire to want to be righteous. And you know what? As a Christian, if you're more unrighteous than righteous, there's a problem. There's a problem. Amen? So all that to say, listen... What a wonderful uh, 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 thing we'll have here, uh, the overcomer, to be clothed in those white robes. But hey, let's let's live that way now, all right? Let's look at chapter uh, 3, verse 12. we got two more to cover here. Let's look at verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. This is a promise of ownership. Ownership. Notice, first of all, what the overcomers like into a pillar. I believe this is speaking of the fact that we'll be a monumental pillar in the temple of God. Not a pillar of support, but a monument of grace that when beheld by all of God's eternal creation will be a reminder of His great redemptive plan for mankind. In essence, you know what this is talking about? Being a trophy for God. Being a trophy for God. Man, that verse goes on to support the fact by showing that the inscription will be placed upon us. Have you ever accomplished something and won a trophy, right? I mean, this week at football camp, uh, Jeremiah happened to be on the winning Super Bowl team, and, and you know what, he got a trophy, and he won an award. I'll let him tell you about that tonight. And uh, you know what, there's an inscription on that, and it's, it's telling you what the trophy's about. Hey, guess what, Christians? You know what, we're going to get a B for God, a trophy for God. 
By the way, I'd rather be a trophy for God than a victim of the devil with my spiritual life hanging on his war room in hell. Amen? Because you know what? He conquered me. He won over me. No, you know what I want to be? I want to be a trophy for God. Amen? I want to represent God in a way where He'll be thankful for that and be a testimony to all of creation of God's love and redemptive plan for us. Do you know there's more to God's creation than just the human race? Did you know that, right? In fact, there's a lot the Bible has to say that God created. You know, all around us there's an invisible creation that you can't see. You know, the world talks about other dimensions and, you know, all this other stuff. And you know what? Truth be told, they're really not that far off. They're just not using the right terminology. There is another world all around us you can't see. If you want to call it a dimension, call it that. But you know what it really is? It's the invisible creation. And there's probably more in that creation than there is in this creation, the physical creation. And let me tell you, folks, uh, it's a creation that even though we can't see doesn't mean it's not there. And you know what God wants for us to be to all of creation? A trophy for Him and His love for us. I mean, God has dealt with the human race unlike He's dealt with any part of His creation. I mean, listen, we, do you understand how special you are to the God of heaven? He, you're so special that the devil is battling for your soul and God's battling for your soul. That's how special you are. Listen, get, get off this self-pity stuff. Well, I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just a human. Quit using that as an excuse. I'm just human. No, let me tell you something. You are a human being designed by God Himself, create, cre- uh, uh, uniquely created to accomplish something special for Him and do great things for Him. Get off this self-loathing business. Listen, we don't need, we don't need self-confidence. We need God-confidence. Amen? I'm going to tell you, you are special to God. And these thoughts that, by the way, when people here have these thoughts about, you know, they're worthless or not, that they don't think those, they hear those. Right? Because let me tell you something, folks. You are very important to God. I mean, He literally sent the most precious thing that's ever been or ever will be to come after your soul and to pay a price for your soul. You don't think that's pretty important to God? I mean, come on, there ain't nobody I feel like I would give one of my kids for. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I can't think of... By the way, I'm not even talking about the best of the best person I'd sacrifice one of my kids for. I'm talking... He didn't just do it for the best of the best. He did it for the worst of the worst. You don't tell me He doesn't love your soul? Come on, folks. Let's be a trophy of grace for the love that He has for us. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to this. Who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. By the way, that's not talking about when we get to heaven. That's talking about here on earth. You know what that word peculiar means? It means this, beyond usual. Oh man, if I live that way, everybody will think I'm crazy. Good! They should think you're crazy. Because let me tell you something, folks. When you sell out for God, there's something peculiar about that. Okay, get over that. Man, I'm just afraid what people think about it. Let me tell you, the world don't care what people think about it. Right? In fact, they use that to do all this bizarre stuff. Why should the world have more boldness for their cause than we as Christians have for ours? By the way, you know what they're representing? They ain't representing a Savior that came and died for them. They're not representing someone who shed their blood for them. No, they're just representing the devil and the world and that crowd. Amen? Now listen, if they're not afraid of being peculiar, what's our problem? Amen? Listen to me, we need to get serious about this. God wants to make us a trophy for Him, the promise of ownership. By the way, you know what? When you're that pillar, again, look what it talks about there. He talks about how that He will write His name upon us. 
Man, He'll give us a new name and He'll write that upon us. Man, we are going to belong to Him. And let me tell you, you ain't going to be ashamed of what the fact that you belong to Him. Amen? If you're not going to be ashamed then, you shouldn't be ashamed now. Promise of ownership. And last of all, look. let's look at verse 21. This, of course, is the letter to the church of Laodicea. If you know much about the church of Laodicea, out of all the seven churches, it was God's least favorite. You know why? They were lukewarm. Right? Look what, look what he says in verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I were, I were, I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Let me tell you, you know what lukewarmness makes God, Jesus, want to do? Puke. Puke. By the way, oh, I'm just average. Guess what average does? I'm just an average Christian. Guess what average Christian? You make God want to puke. That ought to be convicting. That convicts me. Amen? I, I, listen, God's not satisfied with average. He wants you red, hot, on fire. That's what He wants. Because with a red, hot, fire Christian, He can do and accomplish many great things. Alright? That was free. That wasn't even part of my message this morning. Alright? And look what He says to that church. And by the way, even to the lukewarm church, He still has hope. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock... Now think about this for a minute. Sometimes I've heard people use this verse as a verse for salvation. That's not what this is. Think about who he's writing this to. He's writing it to his church. By the way, if you're knocking at a door, you're on the inside or the outside. What a sad statement that Jesus Christ was on the outside of the church instead of on the inside. Is he knocking in the door of your heart? Because let's be honest with you folks. I said it last week. The church ain't this building. It's you and I. Right? Okay, is he beating on the door? Hey, Christian, won't you give me control? Won't you let me in? Won't you let me have what's rightfully mine? Amen? And notice what he says. Here's the promise, verse 21 and 22. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with me and my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, when you first read this, you might think it's referring to the same promise of the ruling position. But the key to understanding this is found in the last part of the verse where Jesus said, and him sat down with my Father in His throne. What does the likeness of Christ sitting with His Father on His throne speak of? I believe it speaks of that close, eternal fellowship that Jesus has with the Father. By the way, you know the only thing Jesus... I'm not going to say He was fearful of. He wasn't fearful. But the only thing that He did would have if He could have not done when it came to the cross and suffering His passion... Now listen, it had really nothing to do with the physical pain he was going to go through, although that was difficult. You know really what it had to do with? The separation of his fellowship with the Father. You realize when Christ hung on the cross for those three hours, the Bible says that the sun turned to darkness. You know God had to turn the lights out so mankind couldn't see what was about to happen? As he for the first time ever and will ever, thank God, turned his back on his own son. By the way, the Bible tells us that Jesus just didn't pay for our sin. He became sin. That means this. Those things we struggle with that think's no big deal, that we think we're justifying as Christians getting to buy with, that's what Jesus became as He hang on that cross. And again, you talk about motivation for not wanting to give in to a bunch of stupid temptation. The fact that Jesus became that and had to be separated from His Father because of that, because of His love for me? Are you kidding me? Man, that ought to convict us every time we give in to sin instead of giving in to doing right because of the price that was paid. 
And that relationship was severed because of His love for us as the human race. But praise God, that relationship was restored. Could you imagine, man, I, I think about that. You ought to think about this kind of stuff when you read the Bible. Could you imagine when Jesus made His entrance back into heaven after raising from the grave with His blood to sprinkle on the mercy seat? Could you imagine that celebration? What that would have been like as the King of Kings comes back to the place He left? I mean, man, that would have been one of the most phenomenal things to see. Maybe God will let us see what it was like one of these days. I don't know. But He came, and you know what He did? He's the same place He's been for the last 2,000 years at the right hand of the Father. By the way, you know what He's doing there? You know why He's there? He's not just sitting there twiddling his thumbs waiting to come back till the Father tells Him to. That's not what He's doing. You know what He's doing? You know what He's there for? He's there making intercession for us. Amen? He's going to the Father in behalf of His children that are still on this earth. Amen? That's how much He loves us. It speaks of the fellowship that He has with the Father. By the way, again, folks, listen, you know what He offers to us? He's going to offer us that same close relationship to the Father. Man, <laughs> I don't know about you, that is just mind-boggling to me. To think that God would allow me that kind of relationship with Him all because of what Christ did for us. This deep, abiding relationship. Man, folks, this is some powerful stuff. By the way, that's why the devil wants to keep you out of your Bible. That's why he doesn't want you to make it a big priority. Because when you start reading this and learning this stuff, it will change your living. And that's what it's supposed to do. Amen? The Bible's not just here for us just to read and get some oogly-googly feeling. It's here so we can practically live it out and live a life that's going to matter a hundred years from now. Probably less than that. Amen? When we get to heaven and with our Savior. So I don't know about you, church, but I hope I gave you some motivation to want to overcome. Because there's some pretty awesome promises attached to those who do. To be able to eat of the tree of life, not being hurt of the second death, hidden man, a white stone with a new name, ruling position in the morning star, being clothed in white raiment, the, the a promise of ownership and the never-ending close relationship with Jesus and the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. Thank You for these truths. Man, these are powerful, powerful truths. God, I, probably, I don't know if I did them justice or not, Lord, but I pray that... Lord, the truth of Your Word will burn deep inside of us. Please, Lord. Jesus, when Your Word's preached and the Holy Spirit, God, it's an inferno that begins to burn and begins to the flames begin to spread. God, You begin to do things inside of us that, that You want to do. And I pray, God, that as Your people, we would allow You to do so. God, again, we're so thankful for Your love for us and the relationship You want to have with us. And Lord, help us to love You more, God, please. Lord, I pray if someone doesn't know You as their Savior today, Lord, they'd get saved. Lord, the Word of God was preached. The Holy Spirit's here. Lord, convict the heart of their sin if they've never been born again. Let them get saved today. And Lord, I pray you bless our invitation. Help us as Christians to allow that Word to change us and help us. And these truths, God, to cause us to love you more and serve you more and finish our race right. Bless us, we pray now. Bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.